Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. your source for Texas news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn coverage over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share with your friends wherever you find it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere you can find great podcast content. You can find Gerald and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram, or Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email at LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Kyle Carpenter. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And again this week, I am without the, the best half of this podcast, Gerald Goodridge, uh, still on, on, on paternity leave, papa leave. Uh, we are allowing him to enjoy a beautiful addition to the Goodridge family. Hopefully they'll be back uh, in your ears soon. But we have a good show for you tonight. In his stead, we are talking some Texas football cruton with Mike Roach. I mean, if you can't have Gerald, why not have the uh, the next best thing out there? Uh, we'll get into uh, some down the 40 with the rest of the Texas sports and a little bang the drum. Coming out of a bye week, the most exciting football to talk about is the football being played either on Fridays or future Saturdays. So who better to bring in than our good friend, anytime Gerald's out, the man who uh, is, the, is the closest muscle, the second and a half host of this podcast, none other than Mike Roach. How's it going, Mike? I was going to say third chair, but I like second and a half. That's, uh, <laughs> that's good. That's even better. Option 2B at, at worst, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's going good. How are you? Oh, I am excellent, man. It's... Uh, Keep looking at the 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 weather forecast, and uh, it looks like cold weather is coming. It's going to feel like fall pretty soon, which you know it's kind of nice, kind of nice to to imagine. It's almost like we live in a real state that has real seasons. Oh, you're one of them. No, I would prefer <laughs> I I would do summer year round if they let me. 
you're like my wife you're like my wife she actually like anything below like 79 is like jacket weather for her so we we are very divergent in how the temperature temperature zones of where each of us spends the majority of our time in the house are vastly different yeah no i'm a i'm a i don't i'm tropical people as i like to tell people so i i like the warmer weather and even we if it gets down under 60 we will turn the fireplace on so respect it man i respect it. I'm, I'm just a big sweaty guy i need i need cool just for everyone else's sake you know yeah i got you <laughs> all right so speaking of big sweaty guys we're probably going to talk some uh some offensive linemen we're going to talk some skill positions but uh, i think the biggest kind of thread is you know i think most texas fans who even have an eye towards recruiting had circled oklahoma oklahoma state back-to-back weeks with uh the state of oklahoma could be amazing if we won both of those games. There was a ton of recruiting momentum uh, heading into the Red River shootout. Then the biggest home game of the year against Oklahoma State. We obviously know from the on-the-field performance, disappointing. We lost both of those games effectively in the second halves of the games. But tell us about the the people who are the, the, the recruits who are in attendance watching and just the overall kind of momentum of the, the, the current class uh, or anyone attending those games. Yeah, you know, I think, first of all, if you look at the way those games were lost, there's a there's a bit of of, uh, I guess, two sides to each of those coins. Right. Like, I think the worst thing for recruiting could have been Texas getting blown out in both of Mm -hmm. those games. So on the good side, you know, you look like, hey, we you know, we played an exciting game against Oklahoma and you know we were you know those are when you can keep pitching the close loss or we're right there we just need to that's a more effective pitch than we're getting outclassed on the field by these teams but the other part of that is like it still happened and it happened in in massive collapse you know I like a part of me wonders have both of those games been just back and forth slugfest from the beginning and you just came up short on either of them would the perception be a lot different than it was i think yeah. the, the frustration of getting out to those leads holding them and then losing them is is what's killing people here on the recruiting side i don't think a ton has changed there there were a lot of big names at both of those games i think and i've always said this when you when you lose in that fashion it doesn't set you back as much as it keeps you in neutral you can't mm. move forward and that's probably what hurts the most is that they had some big bullets, I think, ready to fire had they beaten Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I mean, I think you would have seen them get very aggressive pushing for major targets in this class, like Evan Stewart and Devon Campbell, and uh, even in the next class. And so, um, you know, it's hard to go back and, and talk to those kids after those collapses and say, all right, now, don't you really <laughs> want to come play here? Like, we're going to get aggressive and try to close you. I think at that point, it's just kind of, you know, staying the course and a lot of what they're pitching is we're this close we need you to kind of put us over the the edge you know I know everybody looked at the Oklahoma State game and thought well that's not the greatest outcome you can have when you have Arch Manning in the building and uh while I agree like winning is always better than losing uh, that's a that's my hot take for the day (laughs) you heard uh, your first folks (laughs) yeah it just doesn't it, it really doesn't seem to bother him and, and on a larger scale doesn't bother many recruits it's all about where you are as a program at the time mm-hmm. these are losses that as frustrating as they are and as much as this team could be six and one right now and headed on a collision course uh, for the big 12 championship 
it, these are losses you can take in year one. The problem for, for Tom Herman was he was taking those losses in year four. Right. And when you get there, that's when you have a hard time on the on, with the recruiting pitch. So all in all, I don't know if that necessarily answered exactly what you were looking for, but that's kind of the general state of, of everything and, and the way things are coming off of a loss. I think you said it, Gerald and I talked about it on the podcast, if the games go differently, I think fans feel differently, but there is a difference in the way fans view it and the way recruits view it and, and maybe the macro versus the micro, right? They're making a decision for, for the next four or potentially call it 20 years of their life, right? It's a, it's a, a big decision, whereas fans zoom in on each week and, and each play on what could have gone different. And so maybe there is a, a different perspective, but you also talked about selling on, you could be the one who makes the difference. And Gerald and I have talked about it a lot uh, uh, in our preview every week in our breakdowns. There are different difference makers who could come in and, and help a lot on the offensive line. We know Tom Herman and, and Herb Hand had some misses. They've gotten some kids in for sure, but maybe the curve on certain people on development. The line is interesting on where we go. We're putting faith in Kyle Flood and in and, and Sarkeesian's offense that you know they have a plan and this is going forward. But First question on this is, is in 2022, are there, you know, offensive linemen close, hot, feeling good that they could come in and, and be the type of player that Texas needs for the, for Sark's offense? Okay, so I'm going to take the long way around answering this. I want to talk about the state of where the offensive line recruiting was under Herman and where it's going under Steve Sarkeesian and um, why I think that a lot of the criticism toward Kyle Flood is a bit premature at this point in time. Mm-hmm. If you look at kind of where Texas started out under Herman, they got some high, high, highly rated guys. You know, they got the, you know, they bet big on Sam Cosby. They knew he was a high upside guy and they, to their credit, you know, we, we do ding them every time they lose on a guy. Sam Cosby is like one of the best tackles in the NFL. Absolutely. And they, and that was a true development guy like yeah. we found him he was 240 pounds we put the weight on him we taught him you know the technique and he developed into that guy but they also recruited a lot of highly ranked guys that just haven't worked out tyler johnson just hasn't mm-hmm. worked out and mm-hmm. i watched tyler johnson in high school and i think had i had you told me then that this was that he wouldn't even it's not that he's even been on the field and has struggled it's he hasn't even seen the field right like that would have shocked me you know, me watching him in high school, I thought he was about as safe as better as it could be. I just, to me, from what I've heard, I don't, I don't know if his mind and heart is completely in football. And that's kind of, I think where those, where that comes from. And when you look at Javon Shepard, another highly ranked guy that flamed out. And so yeah. early on, they have the highly ranked guys that didn't work out. Right. And then as you kind of go down the line of those recruiting classes, 2020, I think it, it's got potential to go up or down, depending on how those guys develop. I think, it hasn't been elite, but I think what Jake Majors has given you at center, it has been pretty has been pretty good so Dependable. far. Yeah, solid. Yeah. yeah. And he's the guy in that class that I probably felt the highest upside on. Mm. Um, he's the guy I like the most. I, you know, I, and I thought last year seeing him in limited stretches, Andre Karich was okay, there's another that the, this 2020 class might save this offensive line group, uh-huh. especially if Logan Parr and Jalen Garth, you know, the switches come on for those guys. The, you you might have some fines there. Uh, it seems like Karich has, has regressed a little bit, but still a young player. Yeah. And then when you get to the end of Herman's tenure, it was a complete and total neglect for the for recruiting the position. When you look at Hayden Connor, who I I was always higher on Hayden Connor than anybody, just because I like floor in my offensive lineman. I like a higher floor than a high, you know. And I thought at worst he is a dependable 
starting offensive lineman two or three years hmm. it, it, on your team, but getting just him and Max Merrill, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's tough. So yeah. they're recruiting against that and they're recruiting against the perception that they don't rec- develop anybody. And it's kind of a double-edged sword almost because the perception is they don't develop anybody, but they also can't take credit for Sam Cosme. Right. So, you know, right now it's just, I, it's a lot of, we want to see, we want to see it in action. And I think that, you know, you're dealt the the hand you got and perhaps, you know, I've seen the criticism that the, that the staff could have been more aggressive in the transfer portal uh, this offseason for offensive linemen, but, you know, unlike, finding your random slot receivers or running backs or even a quarterback from time to time, you don't find quality offensive linemen in the transfer. Right. It's very, it's very rare that a program lets one of those guys go because they are so important. So to answer your question, they've got two guys on board that I really like. And if you just want to glimpse into the way I look at offensive linemen, I love high ceilings. Those are great. And if those guys work out in their first round picks, fantastic. But I love high floors even more and guys who could just be dependable, maybe all conference level guys at their ceiling. And that's what I think Cole Hudson and Connor Robertson are. They're nasty, well-coached, physical offensive linemen. And I think what you want to do is add to that. And so, you know, the, the, the board, as it looks like right now, starts with Devon Campbell, uh, the offensive mm-hmm. lineman from Arlington Bowie, the number one guard in the country. He is a ready-made step-in day one and, and start. And I think that that's what Texas is pushing. They've led for so much of this recruitment. They've been out in front. They were one of the first schools to offer him. And he's never kind of forgot that. And then lately, uh, Oklahoma and Alabama are, are starting to make it uncomfortable. And I've what I've said about this recruitment is it reminds me a lot right now, and this could change, it reminds me a lot of the Alfred Collins recruitment where Texas led for so long. And then all of a sudden Oklahoma was making noise and Texas pulled away at the end. So we'll see how that ends. But right now that's kind of what it reminds me of Ernest green yeah. uh, from, from St. John Bosco. Cause tackle bodies are the biggest need. They've got a lot, a lot of interior guys, both their Hudson and Robertson are, are interior guys, which I think Robertson in a pinch could play like right tackle, but you know, those guys are, are mainly looked at as interior guys and even getting, you want Campbell, but again, he's an interior guy. So finding big, long bodies to play tackle, because frankly, you know, Christian Jones just isn't getting it done, you know, right. uh, finding guys to replace that is, is the biggest need. And, and so they just hosted Ernest Green for the Oklahoma State game on his official visit. He is, uh, I think, again, I don't know that I would sit here and tell you he's ready to step in and play big time snaps at left tackle, but he's ready to contribute somewhere on the offensive line immediately mm-hmm. when he, when he gets to college, it, it's kind of down to hit, uh, Texas, Georgia and Ohio state. I think Texas has done a good job. They've established the best relationships in that recruitment uh, going back to Kyle floods time at Alabama. And then they've also done a good job, you know, kind of showing him, the, the pathway to early playing time. They've got some relationships there as well. His father played for the San Diego Chargers and um, uh, played with Andre Coleman. So uh, Coleman's been involved in that recruitment. And uh, it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck sort of recruitment. Okay. In-state, you know, they're still all out for, for Cam Dewberry, right. like guard or tackle. Um, he is uh, looking at getting his his last visit down. I still think... I wouldn't sit here and tell you Texas is a favorite in that recruitment, but Cam has been so unpredictable that I could see a good visit 
very much changing the face of his recruitment. And then, uh, you know, the goal is to flip Kelvin Banks, if you can. Obviously, that was a big loss for Texas. Um, it's going to be really tough. He seems pretty solid to Oregon. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing to watch there is what happens to Manny Diaz at Miami, and does Mario Cristobal become the top candidate at Miami, where he is from, and it's a dream school, and he played, and um, obviously, you know, uh, Cristobal and his staff setting up in South Florida to recruit and, and bringing the U back, I think, would would be something. And if that happens, maybe maybe uh, Banks's recruitment opens back up. And then Malik Agbo kind of popped up on the scene again after falling off a little bit. Uh, a big offensive tackle from uh, the Seattle area uh, took his official visit as well. He is a kid that loved Texas, loved everything about it, but he loves everything everywhere he goes. So <laughs> don't be surprised to see similar comments coming out of his Auburn and Florida visits as well. It's, it's a lot of good names. It's, it's, it's good to hear that we're back in some of those that, uh, that, that maybe have, have upset fans. Cause you know, it, it, there is a Texas fans are nothing uh, if not uh, high with their expectations and every five-star recruit, every high four-star recruit should just automatically come to Texas every year and fans um, maybe struggle also, a little. When it also, doesn't. like, I think that's what, uh, like, I think that's where we are, where, why, why we are, where we are with this season, right? Like if this is, let's say they went out or they lose one more game and they finish the season eight and four, win a bowl game, nine and four for the season, had you told fans, right nine and four with a bowl win. I think people would have taken it, but all of a sudden when you get into the year, people's expectations go through the roof. And it, so it's like, well, why aren't we playing at this championship level? And well, this is a very flawed team. And yeah. I, I, you know, I wrote this, uh, I think right after the Oklahoma state game, if you look at where they've, where the problems on this team are and where they've struggled to recruit in the past couple of years, there's a direct correlation. There's sure. a problem at offensive line. Uh, there is a problem finding playmakers at the wide receiver position. And a lot of that is because they ignored guys that, you know, we all universally watched in Texas high school football and gestured broadly at Marvin Mims and <laughs> Jackson Smith. And yeah. we're, we're thinking, you know, why aren't these guys good enough for y'all? And, um, you know, the, if you look at edge rushing, they have neglected the edge rushing position for so long outside of Joseph Asai and they mm-hmm. can't get pressure on guys. So it's, it, it all matches, you know, I think, it's it's cliche and almost trite to say let it, you know you got to have time to let the staff get their guys but you do i mean yeah. that's they're they're recruiting a completely different vision of on both sides of the ball they're trying to change totally what they do at receiver i mean mm-hmm. uh, tom herman drafted big, big. tall bit not very quick or fast wide receivers and all yeah. Sark wants is speed. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it takes time to turn that stuff over. I'm sorry if I'm rambling. Quick. Oh, no, no, no. I think you're absolutely right. And I think the line and, and I mean, edge rusher is something I feel like they've really hit hard and, and addressed in this 22 class early, but line we talked about in receiver. The other thing you talked about, you're, you're killing my segues because we've seen playmakers and how important they are in Sark's offense pre-Texas. We've seen it already when an 18-year-old in his first semester and Xavier Worthy is the best playmaker, uh, not named Bijan, of course, on the field, but at the receiver position specifically. We've seen it when Jordan Whittington went down and just that kind of gap that was in the offense when he wasn't there. So that said, are there any instant impact players in this 2022 class or even to look ahead to the 23 class that Texas should be focusing on? Yeah, Evan Stewart. Evan Stewart <laughs> is, um, he hates when I say this and he wants, he hates being compared to other people. And uh, because I know Evan so well, I can mess with him on it, but he is Xavier worthy 2.0, but probably frighteningly for everybody more athletic, yeah, which is wow. crazy to say. Um, I mean, I've always, 
I told people, I said some crazy stuff about Evan early in his recruitment, and thankfully he's backed it up. You know, I referred to him early, like a year and a half ago. I was like, that kid is a more athletic version of Garrett Wilson. On this podcast, uh, Mike, you 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 said this over a year ago. You've said yeah. how good he was. You have been a bellwether on this, and, and kudos uh, yeah. to you. Credit to him for making me look good with it. Too. <laughs> you know, I, sometimes I talk about these kids and hope they go out and back it up, and, and he has done that. And so he is a, that's a kid that, to me, if you look at what Xavier Worthy's done and you put two of that on the field now and say, okay, now defend this, you know, that's th- those guys are difference makers. Um, you know, Brent Thompson's in the class. He has world-class right. speed. He is going – there is going to be – a an uh, an adjustment for him there's just going to coming from spearman texas and that level of football mm-hmm. but i do th- i still think he's a guy that you can figure out how to get on the field and just make it simple for him get the ball in his hands in space and let the speed do the work their running backs you know in this class are uh, it's not that texas needs immediate help at the running back position because they're right. going to have another year of the finest back in the country but adding Jaden blue and Jamarian Miller to the mix gives you instant, instant offense. And yeah. so I think that, you know, there's, there, there are guys coming. Um, I think that there are guys uh, ahead. If you look to 2023, uh, you know, again, John Tay cook, I think is that kind of guy. Ruben Owens is certainly that mm-hmm. type of guy. I'm fascinated to see kind of where the backfield goes post Bijan Robinson era and, and how they, because they are in it for a lot of those top backs and they've shown, Hey, we can run the ball and we can put up big numbers there. And, and, you know, we give the ball to our backs and (laughs) that's something that Herman's staff always fought against. You know, they always fought against the, uh, the perception that it was a quarterback run offense. Um, But yeah, I think, I think there's guys coming. It's just a matter of, um, you know, getting them in the class and getting them to campus getting developed. Does does it feel at all to you? Because again, you, you talked about Whittington, right now being our number two receiver and as much as that guy has so much talent in his pinky he's just had some injury problems and you know worthy being able to do this as a freshman with almost no roadblocks in front of him does that feel then like that's a position that they might look in the transfer portal even though you have talent in the 2022 class to get a proven guy in or is this you know are they is sark is, is shown he'll go to the best guy no matter what year he is is that even something that they could think about or, or you know do, is it too early to say yeah, I mean, look, I think it, one depends on how they finish in the class. If they get Evan Stewart, um, you know, they've got their guys. Yeah. They're, they've got the crew they want to go forward with. But I also think if, I don't know, I mean, not that he's going, not this is a, a disclaimer. I have not heard anything on this. This is just an example. If Drake London pops up in the transfer portal tomorrow, I don't sure. think that that, that that means they're not going after How him. do you, you know say no, I mean? right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it's just uh, we'll see what we have and we'll see what's available. And I think they're always into upgrade. I think that there's a lot of upgrading they can do at the receiver position. Much as, you know, Josh Moore has done some things. And, sure. Um, you know, the other guys have. There's just not a lot of guys who can go attack the ball and make a play when they need it right now. Consistent. Um, and that was what Whittington brought to the team. I mean, it, you know, it was a nice little one-two punch of we, we can hit Xavier Worthy with these quick and deep shots, and Whittington will go pick up the tough catches and and the tough yards. And you know, they don't have that guy, so I think that that's hurt them. And I think that for Sark, this is a lot of all right. Let me see what I have on the field. Mm-hmm. And let me see what I need to do to, to immediately address that. And I think he'll be aggressive in the portal. I think 
look at for Texas to be an aggressive portal team year in and year out okay. at every position. If they feel that they can make an upgrade to the roster through the portal, I think they're going to do it. And that okay. I think would even involve the quarterback position. I totally get that. It, you look at a team like, you know, Ohio state and you can have a ton of quarterbacks. You can have a ton of receivers. I mean, they can throw seven dudes at you right now, but you mentioned quarterback and obviously Mike, you were one of the earliest to go out and see him in person, the quarterback on even the most casual fans lips, skipping ahead a year in the 2023 class from new Orleans, uh, Arch Manning, kind of the crown jewel of, of that class. When you saw him, I mean, does just in person and, and, and watching his tape, does he, does he, live up to all the enormous hype and you know where does texas currently stand in the arch race yeah i think for one just a commentary and this is not to your question but just what i've seen online lately is we are reaching like the the maximum amount of arch banning content i think that should be allowed on the internet <laughs> sure, sure. um overall as a people i think it's just like leave good lord leave this kid alone Seriously. at some point and i get it like i i've been out there twice to see him so i'm part of the problem um but uh i try to not make everything every week about arch uh yeah he lived up um from everything i saw now i look i saw him against the worst team imaginable uh <laughs> this fall i uh it was uh it was Fisher High School in Lafitte, Louisiana, which was one of the areas hit hardest by the hurricane. Oh. And like I was talking to somebody at the school during warmups of that game and they were and this is I, you know, obviously when I go to a game out of state, I don't have a great feel for the competition or who they're playing against mm -hmm. and if they're going to be any good. And I was talking to somebody at the school and they were like, oh, I'm surprised Fisher has a team. They didn't field a team last year. And that was oh. a giant red flag to me. Yeah. And then. Uh, you know, Arch's coach had told us, like, get your video highlights in early because this is, <laughs> he's not going to be in for long. And it was about as bad as you can imagine. But I think, um, yeah, he, you know, he checks a lot of the boxes when you see everything physically. Obviously, you know, we we do rely a lot on pedigree and things like that. I think it does matter, mm -hmm. especially in that family. You know, I mean, sure. I mean, in that family, it's not like, you know, you, you, sometimes when you see those families like you'll have one or two maybe live up to the hype and the rest of those guys will be like mid like all those guys were number one picks yeah. and you know all that so he does live up to the hype um i think texas i don't want to get into are they the leader or not because sure. because i don't think arch has a leader i think that a lot of that talk is very premature and it's part of our business to levy you know predictions and things like that um uh, he, you know, I saw several predictions going for him from another company and uh, people asked me when yours going in and I was just like, you know what, the only article I don't ever want to write is the I'm changing my pick on Arch Manning from Texas to somebody so I will never be that early on right. when I'm gonna, I think I'll make Texas fans this promise on this podcast right now. If you ever see a, a crystal ball for me from Arch coming in, be fairly confident that okay that I know for sure it's happening because for those, you know, I, the meltdowns can be bigger than the celebrations yeah, um, in many fair. cases. So um, I think Texas is in as good of a spot as the, I, I've always said this in as good of a spot as they can be and, and want to be right now. If you talk to Arch and you talk to people at his school, Austin has his intrigue. He is, you know, he is paying attention to where he's going to have to live for those four years. Um, and Austin kind of fits the people of Austin you know if you're a kid at, at Isidore Newman in, in uptown New Orleans 
you kind of click with the Westlake kids, you know, and their parents and you, yeah. you're in the same demographic and you understand. And so I think Austin has his attention. I think the national brand of Texas is something, you know, if this was like Baylor or something that Sark was at, I don't, I think that he wants to play for a national brand school. Okay. Um, and I, I think he, he trusts Sark and he trusts AJ Milwee. He trusts this offense as being a fit for them. You know, they run a lot of the same stuff. I talked to his head coach and said, how, how similar is your offense to what Sark runs? And he said, it's almost identical. Wow. Um, and so a lot of the stuff they've adopted just from meetings with Sark and Milwee and, and put into their offense right down to the terminology. In fact, I think when you look at those things, um, when you consider that, it, like the thing that nobody seems to be talking about, which is kind of just in the back of my head is Arch has gone to these places and we've kind of figured out like, What's shaking out right now is Texas, Georgia, Alabama, maybe Ole Miss, Clemson. I haven't heard a lot about this year. Shocking. Um, you know, <laughs> I, just because I don't know that he, I don't know that he trusts the offensive vision there. Sure. Um, but, you know, he's, I, and, and maybe I'm just blind to this because I don't cover those schools. He's made a lot of friends that are Texas targets. You know, he is very close with Jonte Cook. He's uh -huh. very close with Ruben Owens. He's very close with Anthony Hill. A lot of Texans he has become very close friends with. And so not that I think that that's necessarily going to make his decision for him, but I don't necessarily hear about him making friends with guys who are considering Georgia very highly. I mean, mm. Ruben Owens is, Jonte Cook really isn't at this point. And so, you know, that's something I'm kind of watching is, is that, and I think the other thing I've heard is he's kind of mentally comparing a lot of places he goes to Austin. Like, okay, I like that place, but is it, does it rank as high as Austin does? Sure. And so when I hear those things, you know, you think, well, that's good science. I mean, yeah. if he's, if, if that's the first thought on his mind, then that means that, you know, if you, if you extrapolate that out, that he's got you kind of number one and he's just comparing everybody else to you. So, um, in the end, I think it's going to come down to relationships. I think Texas has those. And I think, you know, in the spring when I went out there, I, I guess Texas is weirdly never in on these recruitments that deep, like, you know, these big national recruitments for these massive names, you know, it's just that they, they, they're never really are and, and, until, unless those kids are in Texas. Mm -hmm. And so I was very skeptical when I went out there in the spring and I walked away in the spring going, okay they've reached like the first leg of this race in the top of the pack, but can they hold on to that? Can they sustain that now that we're in what I would probably call the backstretch of the race, because we do expect a spring decision from Arch. Okay. I think they're still, if not the lead horse, certainly in that front of the pack. That sounds like fans should be optimistic. We'll, we'll obviously tune in and, and obviously Mike will keep you. You will not, if you follow Mike, you check him out where he's at. You will not miss the update when it comes. So just make sure you're doing that. I can't let you leave, Mike, without a couple things. I'm not, I'm not rushing you out. I got a couple questions here. But one, we know Gerald isn't here today. He's, he's with his, his new child, with his wife, gr celebrating growing his family. We're giving him a little paternity leave from the podcast. But he still texted in a question that he wanted to get in that I think is, is a specific pet project. Our listeners know that Gerald 
takes as much credit as, as maybe the Hallettsville football coach for uh, Jonathan Brooks. He, he was admittedly, and maybe because he reads Mike Roach, uh, in early on celebrating how good Brooks could be. And we've seen some of that upside already early in the season when he's gotten some, some time. But looks like he's a part of a stable of some really good running backs. Related to him, he has a couple cousins, again, in the smaller high school, but like fun uh, especially around state playoff time to watch what's going on there. The Brooks family, cousins of, of Jonathan, JB2K. We have Dalton and then also Doug Brooks. Um, so do you have any insight on them? Because Gerald, I know, will listen to this, and uh, he's probably smiling right now as he's, as he's listening. They've visited a couple times. Um, they, so I, I haven't been able to figure out what schools really think of Doug because mm. Doug is if you watch Shiner at all and if you watch them in the state finals last year Doug is like the most fun player in the state he is Seriously. a he is a like five foot ten 300 pound defensive <laughs> tackle who also plays running running back, back. <laughs> and he um what did he what do you have last year he like he stripped the quarterback and then pitched the ball to a teammate to score <laughs> like to open up the state fight he is a ton of fun but like you look at him and you think, okay, that's, that's not a guy that, you know, there's just, it, it's okay to say we love this kid and he's a great high school player, but he doesn't have high power five upside when it right. comes to college. And that's kind of Doug. And so, um, you know, I think obviously when you invite Dalton on a visit, Doug's going to come and you want to show him, you don't want to totally ignore a guy like that. Cause I think that turns off the brother Dalton while Dalton's done a lot, but you know, obviously I think Doug has been the star of the show there for the, for the Comanches, but Dalton is the guy that everybody is like, okay, this is, this is the dude that has mm-hmm. high, high upside at the safety position. Mm-hmm. I think Texas, like right now, this is probably a better Nick question because Nick has blazed the trail between DFW and Shiner gotcha. way more than I have and talked to those guys way more than I have. But I think if I'm if I'm remembering what Nick just told me recently, it's for for Dalton. I think a lot of it comes down to Alabama, Texas A&M, and Texas. Hmm. Texas kind of has the advantage of having Jonathan Brooks, their cousin, and um, man, I, I almost think like Josh Moore and Jordan Whittington are somewhat related to them as well, <laughs> like in that weird fourth, fifth cousin type of way. Every every uh, small middle Texas school, just how all the star players are related. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean if you. Well, if you uh, covering the Moors when they came out of high school, they were cousins with everybody. And they would tell you they, were, they would tell you, oh, that's my cousin. And I'm like, really? He goes to Cedar Hill. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's it's down to those schools right now. I don't think that Dalton's really trimmed anything publicly, but those are probably the schools with the best shot. And so, you know, I, I'm Texas hasn't got him on campus yet, to my knowledge. It, it's Dalton doesn't talk. And so it's tough to get information on, but I think Texas is as much in it as anybody. All right, Gerald, I hope you are happy with that. And if there's anything else you want to close with Mike, I, I am, I am, I'll leave you a softball underhanded one, but we, I will not let you leave without getting your, your TV wreck. So anything before we switch to, you know, obviously the fun part of the podcast that you want to close us out with on recruiting currently for our listeners. Yeah. I'm going to make a plea that, that's probably a fruitless plea, but whatever. Just give this staff some time and let's look, I'm more than willing to judge this class in February and I will be harsh about it and realistic and the way it looks out. But like, give me until February. Don't, don't make judgments on this recruiting class until, until it's over and give them time to close. They've been, 
you know, I, I know we had the Sark can't close movement in the summer, and now you've got the number four class in the country, one of the best defensive line groups in the country. They're addressing needs. I know offensive line is not coming along as everybody would want it to right now. I still have faith because I, I trust processes, and I think Kyle Flood's process is good. It's way better than the previous regimes. Give those schools and those coaches time. We will talk in earnest about the shortcomings or whatever of this recruiting class in February after everything is signed, but give me until then and don't let not judge anything. And the other thing is stop calling for everybody's job after every game. Like it, that, that helps nobody. You know what I mean? Like Pete Kwiatkowski didn't suddenly like stop you know, being good at coaching defense. He just didn't <laughs> Yeah. like, let him let, let some things happen here. You know, I think that, I think obviously the defensive collapses have been something, but if you look at what this defense is, has done in stretches, you know, I, people look back at the tech game, that game was the defense was playing lights out when it mattered. And when the game was out of hand, they let a couple big plays. You wish you wouldn't, but that, you know, that's the way it was Oklahoma state game. They played, uh, shut out ball for three quarters yeah you know I mean it's just it's unfortunate that the offense couldn't sustain stuff to help them same thing for the Oklahoma game you know a couple of sustained drives win those games and so you know look at it for what it is and I understand the emotional reaction but um, you know I think the biggest problem at Texas over the last decade has been the propensity to call for people's jobs as soon as something bad happens so stop doing that all right let's go on to TV all right let's do it so we typically we've since Mike originated this at the beginning of the pandemic what a year and a half ago you know some change ago we've we typically release these on our thursday show when gerald and i do it now but we got mike here this is coming out on tuesday so we're gonna we're gonna bump up a little bit to to obviously catch some godzilla tron here mike what are what are you watching what's uh what's piquing your interest lately so we just started um the morning show on nice. apple tv plus i don't yeah. know if you've seen that my wife uh big fan i, I didn't i didn't watch it it's good. It's really interesting because it's basically like the Matt Lauer story. Yeah. And uh, it's almost, I don't want to say brave, but I'm almost impressed with their, uh, you know, um, willingness to kind of not take on the Me Too movement, but like ask questions and provide a commentary about is all of this productive? Hmm. Um, and that's kind of like a lot. So like just a short synopsis is the show is about like a today show, like a morning show type of thing. And it starts out with like one of the hosts getting Me Too'd and like uh, in the midst of some sexual allegations and like the questions become like, these were consensual relationships. So like, should I really be losing my job over this or is, has this movement gone too far? And I just think, you know, it seems like in the past, anybody that's gone after that movement has been canceled. So I'm somewhat sure. impressed. They provided a commentary on it, um, which I'm five episodes in. So I don't know, like long-term, you know, what they, they still haven't like unraveled all of the allegations and everything mm -hmm. that's happened. So it could come out that like, yeah, the guy was a rapist or something, but right. um, we, we don't know yet, but uh, it's really good acting. Uh, Reese Witherspoon and, and Jennifer Aniston kind of star in it. Steve Carell is in it. Um, there are a lot of big names, a lot of familiar faces, really good writing. Um, I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. And yeah. so like I had to look, a hundred times to make sure this wasn't an Aaron Sorkin show because it seems like a if you like the newsroom, uh -huh. it's almost like a better version of the newsroom. Oh, okay. That's I did my like pitch. The newsroom. Okay. Yeah. That's my pitch for it. So um I think you would like it. So give that a shot. What else did we do? We got into some space documentaries not too long ago. We went nice. back and we'll, 
Yeah, I uh, went back and watched The Cosmos, which came on Fox like 10 years ago. Yeah. Went and found that and watched that. Was Neil deGrasse Tyson yes. part of that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's the host, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we've been watching that, and then, um, oh, yeah, we're, uh, my wife and I, we're, I'm 37, she's 35, so we're, like, um, right in that spot of, like, sometimes we get nostalgic for 90s sitcoms, and so, oh, yeah, uh, Peacock will really, um, will really quench your thirst on that, so we've been watching, rewatching Frasier. Nice. Um, which nice. Is a, was a favorite of mine when I was a kid. It was weird, because when I was a kid, like, my parents were very anti-TV in your room. Uh-huh. type of people but like every once in a while if i was sick or something i would get a tv in my room and then like they just kind of forget about it and it would stay in there for a couple of weeks <laughs> um and like it only had like four channels on it and so i'd want to watch the simpsons at night and like Frasier came on right after that so i found myself as like an eight-year-old watching Frasier, <laughs> like not really getting the humor not getting, like, yeah yeah but you know liking it and so uh, yeah we've started going back and watching that um I think I'm going to do a Game of Thrones rewatch soon. Ooh, nice. Have you have you done any rewatches or have you just done the one all the way through? I of of Game of Thrones? Yeah. Yeah, would this be your first time re- revisiting? Yes. Yeah, well, so I think probably at times like while it was running i would go back and watch the previous season again before the new season started like you know you wait the year or whatever and then right like a month before i would go back and rewatch it just to kind of refresh myself but no i i'm a person who i know everybody wants to just barbecue that show and the ending of it and everything but i look at it like hey it gave us a lot of really good seasons and maybe it didn't end like everybody wanted it to but i mean for for so many years it was the best thing on television so um i'm gonna go back and see i want to watch it like now that i've gotten far enough away from the finale uh-huh. rewatch it and just be like okay what do i think of this now you know i'm curious maybe it's just because i'm hearing you say it but it sounds so much like the critics and and just kind of fan expectation of the game of thrones perfection riding the dragon and landing it perfectly basically feels so much like texas football like it's like man we had some great highs it's been incredible it's a good run there were some of the best moments in tv in there uh yeah i get it i get it there the the, the ending yeah. you know could it could have had some more maybe maybe two more episodes in that last season could have slowed things down and stretched it out to a more manageable pace but anyways i, I i'm curious to hear once you do it come back on and, and let us know because it's one of the most dense shows like it it necessitates a rewatch you know you'll always pick something up different i watched it uh all the way through up to the last season and then rewatched it with my wife who originally was just out, wasn't, isn't a big sci-fi fan and was out on it and then decided, all right, she's going to do it. So I rewatched it going into that last season, but I haven't rewatched, I've never rewatched the last season. So, uh, you know, it is one of those things I eventually have to do all the way through, but I'm curious once you do it to, to hear your take. Yeah. I get a lot of time during the day. Um, you know, when I'm just sitting up, so like, I haven't had that time because uh, I, don't, I forget the last time I talked to you guys. I can't recall. Um, but in August, I went on vacation. And uh, on vacation, my wife broke her ankle. Um, and uh, that was late. No, that was early August. Uh. And she just went back to work yesterday oh, or wow. today, today as like the first time she could leave the house post-surgery. So like the last since that time has been just kind of taking care of her and uh, making sure she's okay and, and totally, you know, thrown away around everything. So now I'm kind of back to my, I'm home alone all day. 
um let me throw something on tv to watch and so i think that that i have been like kind of just um because i love the show so much and it's a perfect representation of the state of texas i have been re-watching uh king of the hill episodes just Ah, at random like during the day it's i mean it's just an incredible there is no show that captures my life like as, as a young kid in texas better than king of the hill and then oh i did uh recently do the uh the sopranos movie i was gonna um, ask you that because i know you you're a aren't you a yearly sopranos rewatch yeah you're, you're immersed yeah. in the in the universe so what what would you think of uh was it many i haven't watched it yet many the many, many states of newark yeah. um if you okay so are you an entourage fan i am or I, I here's what i'll say i was an entourage fan when i was like 18 and i liked it i haven't i haven't gone back to entourage ever i liked it when i watched it the first time through yeah did you watch the movie uh, I have not. I didn't watch the movie. Gerald did watch the movie for sure. And I, I, I don't want to speak for him. I feel like he didn't love the movie, but he thought it was just, you know, perfectly palatable. Like, if you want more hang time with the guys, here it is. That's exactly what the movie is. And so I like Entourage. It's not, you know, it's not groundbreaking television or anything, but it's an enjoyable show. And yeah. It's funny and all sure. that. And, and so, and the movie is like just more of that. It's like an, an hour and a half long episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't look for much more of than what that is, then you will, you will be happy with it. And I think that's kind of the same thing for the mini States of Newark. It's like, gotcha. it's not meant to blow your mind. And I think if you're going into it, looking like they kind of sell it as this is a Tony prequel. Mm-hmm. Tony is certainly involved, but this is not about Tony. It's about Dickie Moltisanti, uh, Christopher's dad. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot about him. And so um, I think the writing's great. The music is phenomenal, as always. Yeah. Uh, the guy that plays Dickie is incredible. Um, seeing Gandolfini's kid as young Tony just yeah. it, it, like brings tears to my eyes almost. Yeah. It's a good movie. It's it's good. I mean, I would give it like a like an eight out of ten. You know, it's not it didn't again it didn't blow my mind but yeah. like I, I was certainly glad they made it and i certainly had an enjoyable time watching it if you're a fan and you're adjacent to the universe it's free it's lanyap why wouldn't you consume it I, yeah I, yeah you know i actually my wife and i haven't gone to a movie in the theaters and we actually discussed because uh david chase said he wanted people to go see it in theaters and so we haven't watched it at home because like, are we gonna go i think we're probably sorry i know you listen to the podcast mr chase um but uh, we're <laughs> We're, we're probably just going to binge it here or watch it here pretty soon at, at home. I don't think we're going to make it to the theater to watch it. But, uh, but I, love, anyway. I love the visual in my head of David Chase, like getting in this car and listening to this and be like, damn it, Kyle. <laughs> I said the theater. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I, we will do it because, again, I, I, I love it. And I found out my wife, uh, who's absolutely horrendous at, at accent work, actually kill, just crushes uh carm she could she could pull that out and she'll do it oh, at yeah. random times and just tears down my face laughing because she it's her best accent she could do uh but anyway so it's it's a favorite of ours as well i think i've so yeah if you twice. if you like the show yeah you'll, you'll like you'll like the movie okay there's a yeah. ton of like easter eggy yeah oh okay like my, I, my wife probably was annoyed with me because i'm a like sopranos is is yeah if i have to worship at the altar of any television show it is the sopranos and so i've seen it a million times through i know every joke everything (laughs) and so like every five minutes i was pausing the movie i'd be like see remember in like episode four like christopher (laughs) says this and that's what they're alluding to here (laughs) and so uh, hey mike i would listen i don't know if it has to be a a separate pod i would listen to a youtube breakdown where you pause and, and 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 you know explicate the uh the deeper tome of the movie uh yeah i 
I, I would watch it. I don't know if, if that goes for the hundreds of thousands of listeners to, to this podcast, but I, you know, I, I, I at least would. So just think about it. If I could figure out the technology, I might, you know, I'd, I'd love to do some, <laughs> like, I think that would honestly, it, maybe nobody would watch or listen, but I think uh, the third, you, me and Gerald could uh, like nerd out on movies once a month and just do like a watch along uh, commentary deal. That would be, uh, that would be entertaining. 100% not opposed. When Gerald gets back, let's let's break it down. Let's talk about it. Let's see how we make this happen because I would 1000% not be opposed to that and I know Gerald wouldn't either. So, all right, for until we get that up and going, Mike, where can the uh, the people find you and, and get your content as of today? Um, Mike Roach 247 on Twitter, Horns 247. Uh, subscribe there to get the, the bulk of our stuff. And then the State of Recruiting podcast, which is now on YouTube on the Horns 247 uh, channel. And so as you can see, Kyle, I know this isn't only an audio medium, but like <laughs> I've got a ring light now up here somewhere. You can kind of see the reflection of my glasses. Now it's on and off. There it is. <laughs> and um, I've got like all way more set up. And I was telling you beforehand that like I've got to orient the camera differently if I know it's being recorded <laughs> on video. So um, that's where we are now. And uh, yeah, check us out over there. All right. Yeah. Make sure you check Mike out. Eventually, Gerald and I might just release these uh, these video recordings. We are in video with our guests every time again, just so we can uh, we can make winking and hilarious gestures at each other. So one day maybe you can see uh, see Mike. But until then, go follow it, him on his YouTube. <laughs> it kind of sucks because like it's just, you know, you have to pay attention to what you're doing when you're not talking when you're on YouTube, because like typically in the past, Nick and I, Nick Harris, my co-host, we just have this flow where it's like, okay, I'll talk about something for a couple minutes and then I'll hand it off and he'll talk about it. And while he's talking about it, I might be looking at my, I mean, I'm listening, but I'm looking at my phone yeah. and researching something on my computer or, yeah. you know, I don't mind picking my nose or something like that. If I, <laughs> something, if I know I'm off camera. And so now I'm just like, oh man, I got to like, watch what i'm doing or like sometimes my daughter my wife will come in and i'm on mute talking to her while nick's talking so uh you know now it's it's uh it's a lot more like uh stay zoned in here so that's the difference with the uh, with the video podcast well millions of americans have figured out as they work from home and did that on zoom that uh we're all human and those things are okay and uh, even a celebrity like mike roach will occasionally uh zone out just a little bit but mike it is a Absolute pleasure, honor. It's been too long. You, you were correct that it's been too long since we've had you. So let's remedy that and have you back on shortly next time, of course, with all three of the gang here. But thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure. All right, so now let's go to down the 40 where we take a look at the rest of the sports on the 40 acres. And we start. We have been starting all season. Number one, pretty much pole to pole so far, volleyball. Keeping it undefeated, beat Iowa State on the road. We said they'd only sets they dropped all season were on the road, and they did drop one Thursday. They beat Iowa State 3-1, dropped the first set, and then won the next six. They swept 3-0 on Friday. Thursday, after falling 24-26, they came back to win 25-16, 25-14, 25-12. Had a season-high 17 blocks in this one. All all blocks, no breaks? I don't know. Uh, Skylar Fields and Molly Phillips each had nine kills. Phillips also had six of those blocks. Uh, Logan Eggleston and Asia O'Neill had eight kills apiece. O'Neill led the team with nine total blocks. Brianni Butler had six kills and eight blocks. Jenna Gabriel's all over, dished out 32 assists, five digs, one ace, one block. Uh, Nailani Iosia led the team with 11 digs, and Melanie Parra, we know we love Melanie Parra, finished with 10 digs and five aces on Friday. They won 25-18, 25-22, and 25-22. Skylar Fields again. 11 kills, 364 hitting percentage, season high seven digs. He was all over in that one. Looked looked in, in rare postseason 
form. Logan Eggleston, 10 kills, 9 digs, 3 blocks. O'Neal had 9 blocks for the second straight night, uh, 18 for the weekend. Brianni Butler and Molly Phillips each had 8 kills in the match. Molly Green Giant also had 5 blocks in this one. Jenna Gabriel, 29 assists, 7 digs, 2 blocks, 1 service ace. Again, she knows how to stuff a stat sheet. Texas gets a break. Texas Volleyball has a bye week before traveling to Waco to take on Baylor November 5th and 6th. That will be a good one, one of their toughest tests of the season. Longhorns currently sitting uh, at 17-0 on the season. And this win, 523, not a round number, not a memorable number, except for the fact that it is head coach Jared Elliott's 523rd win as the head coach of the Texas Longhorns, passing McHaley's 522. Congrats to Jared Elliott, the now all-time winningest coach in Texas volleyball history. Keeping on the women's side, number 21, soccer. Secured a senior day victory over Oklahoma State. They were without one of their most notable seniors. Senior Julia Grasso was out for Team Canada's gold medal celebration. And they were taking on New Zealand. We also uh, missed a freshman who was playing, called up for the New Zealand team. But uh, missed her second consecutive match. But it was okay. The Horns were still able to pull this one out. And uh, it was a, a, a nice performance from senior forward Mackenzie McFarland. Had her first career brace, scored both goals. And it wasn't just the seniors. Freshman Lexi uh, Missimo, who we've talked about all year, provided team high 10th assist. And this one, if you've been paying attention, folks, extended Texas's unbeaten streak to 11 games, now tied for the second longest in school history. And this one, because they did give up a late goal to Oklahoma State, they ended their school record shutout streak at 552 minutes and 56 seconds. That stretched over six matches, and that will be... A tough one to beat. Extended the school record by almost 100 minutes. They sit second behind TCU currently in the Big 12. Uh, They have 18 points to TCU's 19. They're going to need to go get all three points as they finish out the season Thursday at Kansas and and hope uh, maybe TCU can get a get a draw because Texas would love to win the regular season Big 12. They do have coming up after that the Big 12 tournament. They could also win that. Uh, But this is a Texas team that currently ranks number 21. We're recording this on Monday night, either Tuesday or Wednesday. The the newest rankings will come out, and I can almost guarantee you that Texas team will be somewhere around 15 or 16. So that number is getting smaller as that win streak or unbeaten streak gets longer at the right time in the season to be hot. So for teams that uh, are – Trying out the off season, the fall ball for spring seasons. We have Texas softball finishing off a perfect fall, seven and zero, with a thirteen zero win over Temple College and a fifteen one win over UTSA in the second half of the doubleheader to wrap up the fall season. They outscored their opponents in those seven games, a hundred to thirteen. Had twenty eight doubles, six triples, and fourteen home runs, so they can swing the bat uh, at least in the fall. We expect that to continue in the spring. Texas starting pitchers combined to allow just eight earn runs over 59 innings of work for a minuscule 0.95 ERA with 73 strikeouts. Again, more than a strikeout in innings. So looking good with the arms as well as the bats. Get some well-deserved uh, time off. They'll be practicing hard to head into the spring with some expectations again in a loaded Big 12 conference. Texas baseball, however, just getting started with their fall ball, opened up with a scrimmage on Sunday against San Jacinto junior college they won 16 to 3 in 14 innings they actually led 9 to 3 after 9 and decided to keep it rolling uh sam Jackson is a really good team um they they historically that's where wayne graham uh was back in the day and would just put 
tons of players into D1 and, and the MLB, uh, one of the better junior colleges in the country in baseball. Um, and this is going to be a good good team this year. They started out pretty hot at a home run and a double in the first inning uh, before Texas really settled in, uh, got things going. One player who really stood out was Kansas transfer Skyler uh, Messenger. Went long with a three-run bomb, showing that he's going to be an instant contributor, was an all Big 12 player at third base last year for Kansas, going to slot in pretty well, I think, in a spot that we had a lot of MLB talent leave, and he will come in and look to be the next in that pipeline. But uh, a player who I bet will be saying his name a lot. They, t- they will take on, Texas baseball will take on McLennan Junior College on Halloween, the 31st. I believe that one might be, I believe that one will be on Longhorn Republic. So you can actually watch that one. Men's tennis uh, added a standout player who will get here in the spring, but uh, added him this week. Belgian standout uh, Pierre-Yves Bailey, I believe is how you pronounce that, uh, who will join in January, compete in the spring. International Tennis Federation junior uh, ranking of number seven in the world right now. So uh, a really stellar standout international player to add to an already good team will instantly uh, make that Texas men's tennis team better. The Big 12 cross-country championships will be this Friday in Stillwater. So that's a team that has a chance. They've been getting better and better every week, has a chance to to bring home some silverware for the Longhorns. And then finally, we have awards watch list season, midseason for football, preseason for basketball watch list season we already talked about. Uh, Marcus Carr, named to multiple watch lists, but basically the the point guard watch list. We had basically our three other uh, starting positions that we know are probably locked in. Each get added to that. Again, 20 candidates for each of these awards. Trey Mitchell, named to the watch list for the Carl Malone, one of the 20 best power forwards uh, believed to be at the start of the season in the country. Only, only player in the Big 12 who was nominated at that power forward position. Timmy Allen. Uh, was one of the 20 candidates for the Julius Irving watch list, the nation's best small forward. There were five Big 12 players nominated for that, and Andrew Jones named one of the 20 candidates for the Jerry West watch list. That is the nation's best uh, shooting guard. So four Big 12 players nominated for that one. So again, to recap, that's your point guard as one of the top 20. Your your uh, shooting guard is one of the top 20. Your power forward is one of the top 20, and your small uh, forward as one of the top 20 that's why expectations are high uh because there's three other four other guys we didn't mention there uh who could come in and and be nasty on any given night if you didn't hear it listen to the texas men basketball preview podcast with bitter white guy uh in your feeds probably scroll up a little in your feed we uh released that last week and finally football midseason all americans no surprise here running back b john robinson was named to five Midseason All-America teams, the AP, CBS Sporting News, as well as ESPN, and the athletic wide receiver Xavier Worthy was tabbed on two uh, freshman midseason All-America squads. Both ESPN and the athletic had him named as a freshman All-American. So, Gerald's not here, but we are going to go ahead and bang the drum. I know it's not the same without the dulcet tones of Gerald throwing it in to me to start it off here. But I'm going to talk just quickly about a recruit, but in a different sport than Mike talked about. Of course, we went deep in recruiting on the gridiron now on the hardwood. Uh, Dylan Mitchell, a five-star forward out of Florida, committed today. I'm recording this Monday. You'll hear this Tuesday. It'll be yesterday uh, to play for Chris Beard 
and the University of Texas men's basketball team. He joins five-star point guard Arterio Morris. This is the first class with multiple five-stars since 2016 when Jared Allen, and yes, that same Andrew Jones, he has been here a while, uh, came in 2016. But good to get that level of talent, and it seems like they're only just getting started. Dylan Mitchell looks like a player who can guard any position, one of the most athletic players in this entire class. Uh, he visited during the OSU football weekend, so again, Mike talked about the recruiting impact on the football field. There were players from every sport here because there's nothing like a good UT home game because, you know, here's the here's the, the secret. Basketball players, soccer players, baseball players, softball players, tennis players, they're all still students, and they all still love going to football games on Saturdays when they're not playing their respective sports. So it's always fun to catch a UT football game. He picked Texas over Florida State, Arkansas, and Tennessee. But what am I actually banging the drum on? Because that's uh, that's more of a news. Well, Texas, we talked a lot about Coach Beard. Bitter white guy shared some insight into the, the rest of the coaching staff. Ulrich Maligi, the guy is a recruiter through and through. He is as committed as, I guess, our recruits are, are now committed to the University of Texas. He is committed to them. He promised Dylan Mitchell that uh, if he committed, he would jump out of a plane. Well, there was a video tweeted by Mitchell saying that uh, Coach uh, Maligi was a man of his word. And there was, in fact, a, a video of him skydiving and throwing up the horn so it just goes to show come play at the university of texas where the coaches literally would go above and beyond for you but because Gerald's not here i'm gonna throw a second bang the drum in daniel ricardo if you're not a fan of formula one then uh, you may have missed that formula one was in austin this past weekend again the circuit of americas is the only american formula one track most of the action happens uh in europe Asia across the pond, uh, but every year they come to America, they come to Austin, and Daniel Ricardo has made himself a fan favorite in Austin. He throws up the horns. He wore a UT football helmet uh, 2019, and then this year he showed up to do his media interviews in what looks like Wrangler's boots, a cowboy hat, and a tech tucked in Texas basketball jersey, which is amazing, uh, throwing up the horns. The guy knows how to work a crowd. He is obviously my favorite. If you've ever seen the uh, Netflix documentary, the F1, I, we've talked about it on this show, Drive uh, to Survive. It is a great documentary, and if you're anything like my wife, you'll end up becoming a giant Daniel Ricardo fan because of it. He's funny. He's personable. Uh, he looks great in burnt orange, and he properly throws up the hook'em. So if you don't have an F1 driver, you do now. Go ahead and, and cheer for Daniel Ricciardo, uh, one of the best personalities and honestly one of the best drivers in the world. That's all we have time for today. Uh, if you want more of this elite content, if you don't just want to listen to us, you can follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can also follow me. I'm at Kyle Carpenter on Twitter. You can follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, hit us up there. Uh, you can hit us on most of our social medias. We are Longhorn Republic on both Facebook and Instagram. You can email us at Longhorn Republic Pod. Just one more chance to ask you if you have never done it, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time and you've never gone to whichever preferred podcasting site that you download this podcast from the way that it got to your ears if you've never gone and left a review of five stars as Bomani Jones says if you leave less than five stars I'm inclined to believe you're a hater uh <laughs> if you have never gone and left five stars for Gerald and I as a as a a paternity present welcoming Gerald back to the podcast please go out take 38 seconds 
and leave five stars and and wish Gerald a uh, a, a happy homecoming return to the podcast for when he comes back. He will be thrilled. He checks those things. He will be thrilled to see it. Take again thirty eight. Maybe if you want to read some nice words, take a minute and twelve. Uh, it really won't take much time. But go out, leave us five stars, leave us a review. Uh, let h- help folks find us on whichever podcasting app you found us on yourself. Thank you. That's it. Hook them. Jail will be back soon.